The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. What's up, everybody? Welcome into episode 10 of season 5 of the Drum Candy Podcast. This is your host, Mike Dawson, coming to you from Drum Factory Direct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. In this special episode, guest hosts Thomas Went and David Throckmorton are interviewing the great Pittsburgh bassist, Paul Thompson. Both Tom and Dave had played countless gigs with Paul over the years. Dave toured with Paul with Maynard Ferguson, and Tom and Paul played hundreds, if not thousands, of gigs here around Pittsburgh and in other situations. So this was a chance for two drummers to talk with a bass player that they probably have the longest history with. They've logged in the most hours. They came up together. There's a bit of history about the importance of finding your you know, like-minded people of your tribe, the importance of the drum bass hookup, and we listened to a few different recordings that the three of them all just absolutely loved, the, how the drums and the bass work together. So this is a really fun episode. I got to kick back and just listen to three old friends just hang out. So here we go. This is Tom and Dave with Paul Thompson. Well, we're, we're, we're back uh, for, for another sort of guest hosting of uh, the Drum Candy podcast. And we've done these 10 Reasons to Love uh, videos, but today we're we're going to introduce a new element to uh, uh, the podcast. Um, so for those of you who might be watching one of these for the first time, uh, we're filming these in, in Pittsburgh, PA. And Dave and myself are, are, this is where we live and we're on the scene here. And we're welcoming our, our really good friend and uh, musical colleague, great, one of the great bassists uh, of the world, Mr. Paul Thompson, who, uh, who Dave and I have known and played with for a long time now. And um, because we focus so much on drummers, we thought it would be a good idea to uh, talk to somebody who plays the instrument that is very important to us, which is the bass. The, the relationship between bass players and drummers is important and unique, I think, you know, as far as how different you know, players of instruments have relationships within groups of varying kinds for us the bass player is really important no matter what kind of music you're you're playing and i think i'm looking forward to hearing the bass perspective yeah for um, sure because i think i mean i know that i've learned a lot as a drummer talking to bass players who i play with and they say why are you doing this or i like when you do that or you know i hate when you do that <laughs> you know it's very informative and you know i think for especially younger drummers who might be watching and who are trying to learn how to play music in different settings i think hearing the bass perspective is yeah. is important and you know we we both have you know long history with paul and certain recordings are really important you know for us and certain certain bass players and drummer teams rhythm teams are really important throughout the history of the music. So I thought I thought we could just sort of start by, you know, sort of talking about that, you know, how we work with bass players, you know, the different things that have to happen in the music for the music to to work. There's so much that's unsaid and said at the same time, you know. Well, it's funny, just you saying that, like when you mentioned talking to bass players and them saying, I like when you do that, I don't like when you do that. I don't know that we've ever really talked so much about our yeah. relationship to each other, but we've done so many different styles of music. 
I guess just knowing each other through talking about all the other music, you figure out maybe what sure. your relationship is going to be. And then just through playing, you, f you figure other things well, out. Well, that, that, I think that's probably a good place to start because, yeah. I mean, I met you. You guys are just a little older than me, but I met Paul when I was about 16. Um, and you, you guys met each other. How old? Because you guys are just about the same age. So how old were you when you guys first met each other? I feel you remember? like we were probably like... 18 yeah. i was probably 18 maybe you were 17. maybe 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 1918 okay possibly. maybe okay. Yeah. yeah so yeah right around the same so time. so I'll, I'll say this not to cut you off but our friend paul wells who yeah. has done one of these with us before a couple yeah. of these with us um paul and i met because we were both drummers and paul and wells and paul thompson were childhood friends so i would yes. always hear about pt as i call him before we got to meet and then eventually we ended up playing together, I think through like a Duquesne. Yeah, it was, uh, I think it was, was it John, John Horn. Horn. Okay, yeah. oh, wow. guitar player friend. I think we played on a, either like a, um, what are those things called? Like a recital. Uh, a recital. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so we knew each other in our late teens and like you're younger, so you were probably around the same time, maybe a year or two later yeah. or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think we were playing a mixture the first time we played of like funk, jazz fusion like like a mixture of those things yeah and um i remember i mean i can say just playing first i was so young i was just excited to play with someone else who was absolutely yeah. my age that was interested in the, in the music yeah i'm not sure what you have to say, what to say about that <laughs> no i agree totally you two were both some of the only drummers i've ever played with just the two of us yes i vividly remember driving down to washington so that you and I could play. Yeah. I vividly remember going over your house and us playing together. In my bedroom, just yeah. the two of us playing tunes, playing tempos. Yep. I think I did that also with Greg Humphreys, a great drummer in town. Yeah. yeah. We talked about Roger a little bit with, with James, James Johnson, yep. who yep. Was, who's also who was been on, on here. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, we really early on we developed this kind of intrinsic kind of relationship. But I, you're definitely right. We didn't talk a lot about. What are you doing here? Yeah. Are you speeding up? Are you slowing <clears throat> down? I don't like this. I really like this. It was kind of, I trust you. Let's play and see what happens. And that's, that's made our relationship collectively, you know, really special because I can play with either one of you guys and we don't have to say anything. Yeah. And, and the music can happen how it's going to happen. And whatever happens, I know that there's a level of trust where mm. it's Especially okay. now we've played, we have, 30 some years absolutely us. but i think even young you, there was that feeling of oh this guy checks out music he plays with all these different great musicians i'm going to learn from him hopefully he can learn something from from me and totally. it, it was exciting too finding other people in your tribe so to speak you know oh yeah i remember us meeting and we were talking about that one spyro gyro record it had just one? come out the okay. one with uh joe rosenblatt, joe rosenblatt yeah yeah and we just started rattling off, oh, do you know this tune? And then we'd play the groove. Oh, oh wow. do you know that other tune? And we'd play wow, the groove that's from cool. it. And that's we cool. did that as well. Oh, do you know this? Do you know this? Let's do this tune. Yeah. Like there was this language that we learned how to speak together that was really, really cool. But we, we jumped into it at a young age. Yeah. I, I, think, um, I, I think we should mention the fact that, you know, not to not to differentiate but you know the fact that back then there was no internet right. you know we we were getting together 
and playing together, you know, listening to stuff together. We did that a lot. I remember going to 2005 Tustin, you know, yes. and you would, you would play stuff. And, yes. You know, like that was that personal interaction. Sure. You know, I think it helped us develop musically, but just as friends. Well, yeah, and, and I know we joke sometimes too, <clears throat> Paul and I, about like back then you'd lend somebody a cassette. <laughs> Or a VHS tape that so and so dubbed from so and so. So like we like, like there was no YouTube, there was no Spotify, there was no Apple Music. So it's like you, you check this stuff out and then you trust your friend. Like oh you got to hear this record. Yeah. You know okay. Yep. Maybe I don't get it on the first listen. I need to yes. give it some time because I want to know what's so great about it. Yeah. You know. Oh there. I've and then it's like man, do you have my? Let me get my tape back. <laughs> well, I have a funny memory. Years ago. Uh, there's a drummer in town, great guy, great drummer, Lou Ross. Yeah. <laughs> and Lou was always the guy that would get this stuff yeah. before everybody. Especially video. Yeah, yes. videos, yeah. And I remember being in his living room with like 10 other guys <laughs> watching like Miles Davis, yeah. the video that's on YouTube now yeah. where they're all in tuxedos, the yeah. black and white one. I remember being in his living room with 10 other people watching that video because <laughs> you just, oh, Lou's got it. Yeah. And we'd go over to Lou's house. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, we gotta get Lou on the on here. By the way, he would be great. Yeah, he would be great. Um, well, can I say something real quick? Go ahead. Go ahead. I, when Paul and I first started playing together, for the bunch, the first bunch of years, I would say the majority of it, almost all of it, was electric bass and drums. Interesting. Where we, yours was probably the opposite. The opposite. So, and it's funny. I think now, it's probably ninety percent acoustic bass, a little bit of electric still, and th and that. That hookup is still there, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. from all the years of playing together. And also, they, both instruments, the fact that I play with you so much on either helps the other, you know, totally. regardless of style. Totally. Um, so, yeah, when you guys started playing, it was, it was all acoustic bass, right? Yeah, yeah. The first yeah. time I played with you was at the Balcony Anniversary Jam Session. Wow. In, like, 1994. Is that 97? 94. Oh my, oh my gosh. It was before I started going to Kappa, because I remember that night telling you, like, yeah, I'm going to go to Kappa next year. And you were like, oh, that's great. You'll be with James. And, you know, yeah. It's a long time ago. <laughs> and I remember you gave me your phone number by telling me, oh boy, Al, on the, <laughs> oh, on the, wow. the, the number, the, the letters. Yeah, it's amazing. I forgot all about that. 6426925. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've done that a bunch of times. Oh my goodness. But, but, you know, the, I think, when you're younger, as a drummer, trying to figure out, when you play different grooves and different styles, like how to, how to offer your beat to the music, like that, that's a huge thing between, you know, the, the bass player and the drummer, because somebody can be a little more on top, somebody can be a little behind, and it can work, but it's like figuring that out, that's such a, an art to do that. And there's not one way to do it. There's a lot of ways you can do it. But yeah. I know for me, that was one of the biggest things about getting a chance to play with you. It's like, okay, because I, I if I have a tendency to rush or drag, I drag. You know, so I have to be, you know, and like learning how to f make the music feel good with the bass player. That was like a, that's such a huge learning experience of being able to, and you can't do that playing with records. Right. No, yeah. You can learn a lot playing with records, but man, you got to learn how to work that out with another well, human being. Well, the record's being. the same every time you play to it. That's what I'm saying. You know, yeah. there's no give, there's and, no take. give and take. Yeah. So to, to develop that, that relationship with another person is, 
that's that's the art of playing music. Yeah. You know, at least playing with other people. And it takes time. Like, you can't just... You know what I mean? And I think mm -hmm. that that's part of the relationship between bass players and drummers is... And you know, it's like when you play... When you play with a drummer you've never played with before, what's the first thing that you that that you're listening for? Oh my God, I'm I'm seeing where their beat is. Where's my beat? How can we intersect? Are they listening? Are they going to be flexible? Are we both going to be flexible, or are they going to go? Here it is. You got to come to me. All that. There's yep. a lot. Of, yeah. There's All a lot that. of listening that yes. happens. Um, you know, you were there. Uh, what was it, six months ago, Kenny Washington, when you brought oh, Kenny yeah. Washington into town. That was really fascinating to me. It, for me, too. I played on, well, I listened to so many records that he's on, sure. so many records, and to play with him was a total different experience. Yeah. The way yes. his beat felt yeah. and how he listened. Yeah. And it wasn't, um, it wasn't as perfect or as forced. Yes. There was a lot of flexibility in how he played and where he laid it. Yeah. Um, and then somebody like, I played a gig with Tane. Yeah. Jeff Watts, probably, it was pre-COVID, so probably four years ago. And the way he plays, I was so intimidated. And immediately, as soon as we started playing time, it was like this. Bang. yeah. Like, whoa. Yeah. Like, so, are they listening? Like, I'm really trying to hone in. Some guys, it just happens. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. Which is really cool. Yep. And with both of you, I mean, I'm spoiled. I'm spoiled. You two, James, as well Roger. as James. Yeah, yeah. And Roger. Roger. Yeah. Like, it's just like this for me. It's just, it yeah. just happens. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're the ones that are spoiled, but I hear you. <laughs> no, for sure. <laughs> but, but it's interesting because, like, that, not to go back to that thing with Wash, we talked about this a little. What I realized after watching that was, I've seen him play a lot over the years, but I've always seen him play with people who he's played a lot with <laughs> and that he has a really good rapport with. Mm -hmm. Like bass players, like I've seen him play with Ron Carter, Ray Drummond, Peter Washington. He has great rapports with them, but I've never seen him play with two musicians that he had never met before. That's interesting. And it, what I got from watching it was he was really kind of laying back like listening and watching to what you were he wasn't like no this he was yeah. like okay what are the what, what what are they doing okay let me just figure, you know what i mean and okay. you guys played like four tunes yeah. like it wasn't enough time to really yeah but that was interesting it was like watching him play with people he had never played with i had never seen that before so that was informative you mm -hmm. know but anyway yeah there there's develop learning to develop that and like you said if when you play when we play with bass players and never played with we're all listening for the same thing. Where they place it, where are they feeling the yeah. beat? Are they flexible? Every, every um, category you named or, or little thing you listen for, those, it's all the same stuff. Yeah, you totally. Know? And, and it's so important to, to, to be thinking about all those things if you want to figure out how to make it work. Yeah, you which know? some people do. <laughs> yeah, because I've played with people that um, I've heard about how great they were. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then you play with them, and you're like, oh, yeah, they are great. I've heard them play with other people and loved it. And then you have a hard time playing with certain people. Not everybody's meant to play together. Totally. Yeah. And I still love their playing with other of course. other people. Yep. But some, a few bass players I play with, it's been really tough. It's like, okay, I, even if I say I'm going to just try to follow them around all night. It's still hard. Uh, it's still hard. Yeah. Because it's, it, it's, it could go... 
It's not consistent, maybe. No, I've had you know? the same experience. So I enjoy some kind of a consistency where you can kind of assess what it's going to be. Then you at least have an idea of, okay, this is going to work. Now I can just play. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And for me, I think the key is just always listening to. Like, we're probably too guilty. And you guys probably do the same thing. But there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of, like, my bad. <laughs> You know, the whole gig, the whole gig is my, my fault. No. Like, like you one little flam. Dude, like, it's, dude, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm always the one going like, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't need to be said. It's just like, it's just like, I know I screwed that up. And I know yeah. that you know that I screwed that up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's nice. It's nice to have, I mean, I've, I've said this before in like interviews or like when we've done performances and had to talk, like I've easily played with you more than any other musician in my life in my life that's you know? probably true for me too yeah which is crazy if my, i if i if i had to yeah my, my condolences for <laughs> no are no, you kidding man, me there's a reason there's a reason for that. you've been making me sound good for 30 years <laughs> better than i do sound anyway and, and i think that's what it is it's like it's happened so much that you really do know each other's places and, and it's like this has been a really nice compliment that we've gotten to as a team like some younger musicians i know have come up to us and said man i hope one day we have a connection like you and Paul have. Sure. It's like, oh, that's really nice to hear. And, and like, you almost don't even think about it like that. It's yeah. just like, oh, yeah, we play. Well, I mean. But if you play without him, then it comes back. You're like, oh, thank God. Like, this is going to be so easy. Well, I, I'm sure you've had this experience, too. I mean, I, I, I love playing with different musicians. I, I'm blur I really like playing with younger musicians just because it's the learning thing. But if you've had a few gigs away from a, a bass player who you have a real rapport with when you play with them it's like it's like oh yeah yeah this is easy actually <laughs> you know what i mean and, and those other relationships are really great too of course but there really is something special between bass and drums it's there is. unlike any other instrument we basically we we have to play more than anyone else in the band we're always playing basically mm -hmm. you know and we have to learn how to play with other people as a team. Because, I mean, like, you and I have played with so many different people. Like, tomorrow we're playing with two great saxophonists in a chordless group, which we've done before. But it's, like, we played that nice trio gig with Steve Rudolph, mm -hmm. which was fun. And it's just, it's very different. And learning, one of the things I think, especially for rhythm section players, it's the art of accompaniment. How do you play with people? How do you make it work? How do you make what they're doing speak and have meaning? Because a lot of times it's up to us as rhythm teams to, like, we come into a situation and it's like we're playing this music that I wrote, this is kind of what I want, and it's like it's up to us to make something out of that. Yeah. And that's a big challenge. And you have to, I think you have to be able to play well together, but you also have to know a lot about the history of the music because we were just talking about someone will hand you a tune and say, it's like this. Mm -hmm. And if you've never heard that, USOL. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you, you know. Yeah. So it's, there's a lot that goes into as, as a team working with other people, like yeah. trying to figure out how to do all that. And it's such an art to it, you know. Because I've, I've had, this is just to go back to what you said before, when I interviewed on this podcast, uh, Master Lewis Nash, one of the things he said was, he said, you know, growing up listening to all these masters, because I said something to him like, you've had a chance to play with so many of the masters, and he said, yeah, he said, listening to them on record and playing with them can be 
100% different. Like you have this idea, oh, Ray Brown plays like this. And then you play with him and you're like, it's not like that. You know yeah, what I mean? Wow. Or, or yeah. anybody. And he's tr like, I've had the chance to play with a few of the masters and it's, it's interesting when, you're, when it's them and you and you're like, whoa, you know. It's yeah. not, I'm not saying it, it's good or bad. It can be either, but it's, it's unique and different. So. Well, I, I had a, it's funny that you mentioned that. I had ex an experience playing with Ben Riley. Probably. Yes, I was there. Was this in 96, 97, something like that? I think 96. Um, it was with Mill Jackson, and I was filling in for Bob Cranshaw. He couldn't be there the first night. It was like a four-night engagement, and so I played the first night. And I was used to this kind of like Ray Brown kind of slam you over the head with a sledgehammer kind of beat thing. And he was touching the drum so lightly and so softly that it just brought me... <laughs> completely back oh okay it's gonna be that ding 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 it was like the harder I played the softer he played yeah to kind of like do this with the music and it wasn't what I expected at all yeah. sure it was it was really we as rhythm section players we have to listen harder than anybody else I agree on the band and I think you period. have to have more um, reference points so, so you can find what it what it needs yeah Absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Because if I play with Paul, um, you know, with a singer who just maybe just playing just normal standard repertoire, like it's almost like, I mean, you're still always trying to play your best, but you sure. can almost like, okay, we're, this is this kind of gig, and maybe another gig, it's it's going to be like, oh, we're going to get into like this thing that we do, like with Thostria, we have a way of playing a Thostria. Totally. It's different. If we play, no. like in the quartet under my name, like yep. it's, it's a different thing. But all the all that information is still transferable. Sure. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Totally. Oh, absolutely. But yeah. I think I think I think that's that's the beauty of a bass player and a drummer who have that rapport. Is you can do that. Yeah. There's that trust, but there's all those hours logged. So it's like, oh, okay, we're moving in this direction, and you you both know where to stand, so yeah. to speak. You know. And, and also, I think it's important that we commit. I think every time we play, we commit to grooving. Oh, man. We commit to swinging. We commit that it's going to have a feeling. Yeah. You know, maybe we rush, maybe we drag, sure, whatever. Yeah. It's going to have a feeling and a groove. Yeah. I played with a drummer of note in the last couple of years, and they ticked every box except for the swing box. Hmm. Every box except for the, like, there, it wasn't quite swinging. Like, I wanted to dig in and have it feel a certain way, and it never got there. Everything else was great, but I got to have the groove. The swing yeah. has got to be there if I'm going to feel like I can really dig into the music and contribute, you know? Right. Yeah. I, I, I think, too, like, sometimes what's nice, and sometimes you meet a new player, you play one tune, you're like, this is like the kid Brandon Rose I play with, 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 I hate oh, to call yeah. him a kid, he's 25, he's half my age. Yeah. <laughs> so in Dan Wilson's quartet, we've been playing, and it's the first time I play with him, it was like eight bars, you're like, this is going to be a piece of cake. Yeah. And we've never had to talk about it, and it's always been great. Yep. And that's been 99% acoustic bass. Yeah. We started doing these gigs recently, we've only done one, we have one this week at the Cleveland Festival, but doing this Stevie Wonder music where he's playing all electric bass, and I'm playing more of a dead bass drum, playing grooves. And I was like, oh, this is, good. This is a chance to see what it's like doing something totally different. And it was the same experience. Cool. We just started playing. I never even had to think about 
that he was playing electric or that I was playing, laying into the bass drum or yep. playing big backbeats. Yeah. It was just like, oh, it's exactly the same as it feels when we play jazz. That's great. And that's it doesn't you don't always get there. But what's nice about those connections, once it feels good, like how we said we never talk about it, it's like sometimes a look or a nod or a, um, like if I don't know something, if I know Paul, Paul like, ah, oh, you'll, you'll be cool. <laughs> And, 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 and normally that can be scary depending on who says that to you. Of course. But yeah. if you trust the person, you're like, oh, okay, I'm probably going to be Absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. You know, or you look like, he's like, yeah, that's it. Like, yeah. that's, that's going to work. Yep. So it's nice to have that. Too. Yeah, sometimes you need to lean on each other for different things. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's part of the relationship, I think. Yeah. You know. Like, this is just story time, but like, when I got the gig with, with Maynard Ferguson's band, I was 25, just turned, my first gig was on my 25th birthday. Paul got me on that band. I think it was like the fifth or sixth gig where it like setting up for the gig and and I put the book on this I don't know if you remember this, I put the book up and Paul's like, Man, put the book away. And I was like, dude, like I just got the gig like a week before the gig. Yeah. And I've only played five shows. And Paul's like, You know this stuff, man. Yeah. You know? Cause we were playing basically the same tunes every night. Sure, point. sure. So I think I threw up like one or two tunes just as a reference in case I needed them. But but just hearing that and playing that in my head, I played the gig without the book. And it was the best thing I ever did because that made me learn how to play the gig. Really play it, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Not sure. just make stuff on the page. Of course. Like start to realize, oh, because like, before you're, you're hearing with your eyes. Yep. So I'd totally. make a shot just because it was there, not because it was the, it's the choice I wanted to make. Sure, sure. Yep. So then you start figuring out how to play. So that's something maybe that's good to talk about in terms of like it's great learning to play this music with your with your ears more so than with preconceived notions or being buried in the music. Yeah, we all need to read if it's a reading gig. Of course. Do you guys have anything to say about that? I, I, I think that's true because you're. I mean, I say this all the time at Duquesne. Your ears bail you out more than your eyes ever will. Yeah. You know. So and of course i mean when you're if if you're sight reading that's of course different but if you're if you're playing music every night eventually yeah to really get to the music you got to get off that page you know because again your ears are going to tell you what's not on that page mm -hmm. you know so i think i i think both are important as far as that goes like you know be being able to to be comfortable reading but knowing when it's like okay i i i got to focus on the other part now Forks Drum Closet, Nashville's full-line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instruments, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. No, totally. I, I tell my students, um, how well do you play an F blues, right? How well do you play that? That's how well you should play every tune. Yeah. You play an F blues that well because you're comfortable. You know it. You know the chord changes. You know a substitution that could come. You feel free within it. We should know every tune like we know in F blues. Yeah. And you should work to, to know a tune. I'm, I'm, the older I get, the more I'm against kind of reading cell phone changes on yep. gigs. I hate that. I can't stand it. 
There's a vast library of music available to us on recordings. There are tunes we should know. You should, and, and the, you owe the music this, to get your butt kicked, maybe two or three choruses, and to know a tune forever instead of reading your way through a tune and pretty much being 80, 75% involved Absolutely. with playing yeah. because you're reading the lines on your yeah. phone. You know, I'm, I'm really big on that. But the repertoire is a part of the gig. It's a part of learning jazz, knowing the tunes, knowing the recordings, of course. at least being able to sing through stuff. Yeah. And all three of us, there's a great pianist who moved to town several years ago, Daniel May, mm -hmm. all three of us have had the honor of working with, really funny guy, um, <laughs> but who was not into charts. Yeah. And that was an adjustment for me, because he wanted to do tunes I didn't know. 90% yeah. of the gig was stuff I was learning on the gig. Yeah. And I started realizing how important my ears were. you know. And in a perfect world, you should be able to read whatever is put in front of you, but also play without anything. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So that's my goal. My goal is to be able to read great, but also contribute with my ears, hear things. You know, that's that's the, the total package, in my opinion. I agree. I mean, with, with younger guys, I mean, dealing with the technology, and it's cool. I don't knock it. But, I mean, I've told younger, especially bass players, like, I would much rather you struggle through this right now. Don't worry. I'm not going to be angry because you're going to really learn this. Because yeah. it's going to force you to be like, okay, what is that? And not just read whatever. And a lot of the changes aren't right on a lot of those. So it's, I would much rather have a young musician struggle through it because they're going to really learn if they do that. Like, that's fine, man. I, I'm fine with that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it goes back to what you said, though. You're, you're really playing with your eyes Yeah. when you're buried in a chart like that. Yeah. You know, um, more than your ears. And that's, that's, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to play what we hear. Well, I think, too, it's like when you said the one thing you want to do is feel great. You know, you want to, like the guy that checked every box, but the feeling great. Sometimes when I play with, I play with musicians who, who generally, usually feel really good. And sometimes if they're reading, the feel goes out the window. Oh man! Because they're like trying to. Look Their ahead, brain is not in the right place. And then place, they start yeah. rushing, and you're like, man, like I can't wait till you get off that guy. And it's like, okay, now we can. Just now we can play. play. Yeah. Because that's because that's what my ear wants to. I want it to feel like something. Yeah. And if it feels like. You're reading. Even if you're the only person that's reading, it's like, man, please come to us yeah. where we can play. Yeah. Going back to what we said earlier, last night on a gig, I played that John Schofield tune, Groove Elation, mm -hmm. which I know you guys play. Mm -hmm. and I had heard it before, but I had never played it. And there was a chart. The chart was good. And that groove is kind of cool. I found myself wanting to play more of like a Sister Cheryl kind of a groove because that kind of works on it. Mm -hmm. But I forced myself to not do that. I was like, no, 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 I can't do that. Let me try to play something that, you know, Bill Stewart or Idris Muhammad <laughs> would play on it. Yeah. And it was a real challenge. But I had to consciously say like, no, 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 don't do that that you know. Like try to come up with something else. And I, it was kind of whack, but I did my best. But that's how we, that's where you learn. Though. That's what I'm saying. And like, like knowing... Like okay, I no, I shouldn't. I can't do what what I want to do right now. I I'm gonna I'm gonna get better if I try to do this, you know. And be having the 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 freedom to 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 do that and be able to kind of screw it up a little maybe, you know, or like take a minute to kind of find, you know. I mean, how many times have we played on gigs and I'm trying to figure out what to play on a tune, you know? Because it it you can, sometimes you can't do it like that, you know. Yeah. And to have somebody that is good to be kind of, you know, 
let you do that. <laughs> well, it's, it's quantity over quality. That's my thing. It's quantity over quality. You got it. You can't make a mistake if you're not trying to play something, and you got to get in there. You got to get your hands dirty. Yeah. You got to do it. That's why. And you've both played with me enough to know. I rarely shake off a bass solo. You know, at times I think I th I play too many solos, nah. but I want to be better at it. Yeah. So if you're going to give me an opportunity to play a bass solo. <laughs> Absolutely, I'm going to jump in there because I want to get better. Yeah. I want it to be good. Yeah. So I choose quantity over quality every time. Yeah. Play, 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 and play some more. Yeah. No, yeah. I think that's great advice, and that's, that's hard, especially, I think, we've talked about this, a lot of young people today, they're so used to watching these little videos that that person might have done how many takes, yep. and it's all perfect, and they think, I have to do that. Everything is performative. Mm -hmm. I'm performing where what you're saying is, yeah, you are, but you, you have to screw this up in order to get better. And people are like, no, I can't do that. And that's the, really the only way. Absolutely. You've got to screw it up before you can do it right. Absolutely. You know? And all three of us played gigs for 15 years before there was ever any social media, yep. before anything was captured. Yep. You were playing to get better. Yeah. Every Absolutely. gig you were using to try to get better, get to the next gig. Yep. And we see these little bits of 20 seconds and 30 second, you know, TikTok clips where people are doing mind-blowing things inside of a little box. Yep. And then it goes to the next video. <laughs> and that's not how it works. That's not how it works in real life. Yeah. Unfor unfortunately, you know. And playing music, you can't do it by yourself in a room. Mm -mm. You know? Yeah. I mean, you can do something. I mean, we all have to practice individually, but... Playing music is about that human interaction. Yep. And the only way to get better at that is to make mistakes while you're, yeah. while you're, Well, that, you know. I mean, not to shift it, but no. that makes me think about Paul and I have had two bands that are all improvised bands. Yeah. And just even saying that, it, it makes you almost want to tremble with the, with the thought of, like, there's no music. What <laughs> right. are you going to play for the for a three-hour gig or a two-hour gig. And I think that something doing that probably helped our all of our other playing because you start to, like, it's against trust, we're saying the same things, but just, or stuff we've talked about. Like, we had a band called Beam, which was like a mix of, you know, hip-hop and electronica and, you know, kind of some fusion elements crept into there as well. But a lot of it is just like, Okay, the gig starting, I would just look at Paul and count off a tempo. There's no key, there's no there's no bridge, there's no you know and it's yeah. just like, well, we gotta like you always say, commit you have to commit to it yeah. and try to make it work. Mm -hmm. And that that exercise of doing that, it it helps everything. Absolutely. You know, like try to play it like you mean it. So it maybe does come across sounding I, the best things you get from those bands are when people say, oh, I really love that third song you played. <laughs> like, song? What are you talking about? Yeah. We're just messing around. Yeah. But that's the goal, is to make it sound like it's yeah, sure. it's music yeah. all the time. Sure. And through the struggle, and same goes with jazz, but you through get the struggles, you, you, you're learning stuff about yourself, what works, what doesn't. Totally. I need to stop doing that. I was always big on, I don't record a lot of gigs with me playing tunes but I would record those gigs because those were the only gigs we did were improvisations yeah. 
So it's not like we go in the studio to make a studio record. Sure, sure. So we, so Landay, our other bass player in the band, Beam, would record the gigs. I would listen to them, and, and then through that I would learn, like, oh, that's not working when I do that. That's not working. How much do you think about that when you're playing? Like, like oh, this isn't working or this is working sure. all the time? I mean, are you thinking that? I, I think if you're listening hard enough, if you're doing your number one job, which is to listen, everything usually reveals itself. You know, you can, you can hear... Um, the notes that I'm playing, is that working on the chord? Does that figure, um, am I playing that with the drums? A am I playing in the wrong register? I mean, it all tends to reveal itself the harder you listen. And I, I also found that when I'm, when I'm, if I'm playing and it's not really happening, I have to listen harder. For some reason, when I listen harder, it really starts coming out. Like, all those things reveal themselves if you're listening hard enough. And a lot of people, especially, I noticed this with my high school students, a lot of amateurs, they don't know how to listen. They don't know how to listen to themselves. Yeah. They don't know how to really listen hard. Like, do you hear that third note you're playing is out of tune? Do you hear you're not in time? Do you know how to really listen to yourself? All my heroes, you know, Chick Corea, um, John Coltrane, Miles, uh, you know, Vladimir Horowitz, mm -hmm. those guys know how to really listen to themselves and listen to everybody that they're playing with. And that's, to me, the older I get, the, the less it is about, man, I got to get my chops mm -hmm. to where it's, man, I got to listen. Man, I got to listen really hard. That is 100% that is true. I, now, let's, let's, let's stay on that for a minute. So when you say, if you're in a situation where you feel like it's not happening, when you say listen harder, can you talk a little bit more about that? Like how, I mean, you're listening to everything, but is there, this is, I, I'm not quite sure how to frame the question, but like what, what are you listening for? Or are you just trying to take everything in more? Or Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to, my first goal is to kind of step back like it's a painting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And see the whole thing. Yeah. And if I can't do that, um, then I'll step in a little bit. Okay. So it might start with one person or one thing. Okay. If I have a hard time listening, it might be just the soloist. Um, it might be just the soloist, and then I'm bringing in the ride cymbal. Mm -hmm. um, it might be the ride cymbal and the, the comping of the piano. Mm -hmm. If I can't hear everything really, you know, really closely, what I do is I try to zoom in on one or two things to make that picture kind of focus, and then I can step back and draw back. But I'm trying to listen for that. I'm also listening for feeling. Does it feel a certain way? Yeah. Is there a feeling, and especially in jazz, it's gotta move ahead. It's gotta have forward motion. Yeah. And sometimes, you both know this, when it's not happening, it almost feels like you're stepping on your feet, yeah. like it's just, it's not going anywhere. Yeah. You're in a car, you're, you're pushing the gas, and you're not moving. Yeah. I want to feel like, is there some momentum? Is there motion? Is there feeling to it? But um, the, the main thing is zooming in and out for me. And, and the, I've, here's an interesting thing. The harder I listen to myself, the worse I play. If I'm like right here, I play awful. Mm. The more I can zoom out, and, and for me, I, I want to talk about this actually on, on, my, on my YouTube channel. I, I'm going to do a video about this this summer. Um, about, for me, it's my eyes. My eyes really key the whole thing. If I close my eyes, I play awful. Mm. I play awful. It makes me incredibly self-conscious. Wow. And I hear myself. And I know for some cats, they close their eyes and it makes them play better. Sure. They, they, they search more. 
when I close my eyes, it's like everything is blocked out but me. So I have to keep my eyes open. I have to find something to look at or someone to look at. Oh, wow. If I can get outside of my head, then I feel like my ears get 100 times bigger. Yeah. If that makes any sense. I can go, I can go both ways. Sometimes I feel like I need to have my eyes open. Even if I'm not cueing in on other musicians I'm playing with, with my eyes. Mm -hmm. But sometimes when I close my eyes, I feel like I can... I can eliminate some distraction sure and then i feel like i can hear more i'm kind of the same it could, it could go either way for me depending on the setting i've been yeah. studying cats too i mean if you ever see chris potter he's like this yeah he's like totally like and his eyes are like just scanning everything yeah. train was like that where his eyes were kind of scanning things mm -hmm. but then some guys like you know keith jarrett he's yeah. like yeah yeah very eyes shut yeah you know um but for me, yeah, I have to, it helps my listening though. We talked about hearing with your eyes. Mm -hmm. For some reason, I gotta keep my eyes open and, it, and what I'm seeing kind of disappears if I keep my eyes open and I'm just listening. That's what I want. I want no self-consciousness. Yeah. I want total well, listening, even yeah. myself. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know? I, th I think if you can get to that place where you're not thinking so much, is usually when it's for me mm -hmm. oh. the most happening. Absolutely, I mean your brain. When you're not caught up. You're just kind of it's just not automatic pilot totally, but you're it's just feeling natural. Totally, it's a great feeling. Yeah, yeah. It's like for me, it's the older I get. I mean, as a young drummer, I, mean, I play a lot. You know what I mean? You know that. I mean, you may hate it at times and love it at times. There's there's things about that that are certain situations that are great, but I feel like the older I get. In some ways, I play less and less, but I still have moments where I play a lot. But I just keep thinking about, um, like, I can't, I can't make it all happen. I've noticed that a long time ago. I have to, like, yes, you know, some yes. of the improvising bands. You think like I, I need to make a statement that'll help stuff along, and sometimes you do. You need to be, if it's your vision and your direction, you need to be able to make a decision and live with it. But when stuff unfolds, it's usually like I'm with Beam or with Throckmorton Plot. I feel like the more you don't force it, it's gonna get somewhere magical. But if you try to force it too much, it's it's not gonna find that place. I'm kind of rambling a little bit. No, no, I'm I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Do you know what up. I mean? So so it's like I want to be able to leave space, and I want to learn to 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 do more without being so forceful and for me another point is because i don't have you know we're playing the tune we're aware of the tune we're aware of the form but i can't play the right notes over that chord with the drums i can't right but i need to sound like i am but for me it's it's i can do so much with, with space and so much with dynamics and that's the stuff i really think think about a lot like i feel like the more we play mm -hmm. like in thoth trio for instance a trio we play with I feel like our softer has gotten way softer in the mm. last five years than wow. it ever was the first yeah, I agree. ten years. That's interesting. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like we'll we'll play unbelievably soft. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, man, it's just widening the the dynamic range, which for me is like that's what we have to work with. Of course. As drummers. Yeah. No, that's that's <laughs> that's that's all very true. I to go back to the first point about forcing things, that's that's one of the most frustrating things when you're playing music is when it's not happening and you you feel like I gotta do something, I gotta do something. And to even if the music is not happening, to be like, okay, 
I'm going to do my job and we're just going to kind of let this. That takes so much patience and so much acceptance of it not being very good. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah, it's trust. It's, it's trust. trust. Trust in yourself. Yeah. You know, it's total trust. But also what you said, it's not all on me. Yeah. There's two, three, five other people up here. Like, I, it's not all on me. Yeah. It's, it's us together. And, that, and that's hard when maybe somebody's not on the same page or whatnot. Mm -hmm. But I think one thing I've, I'm starting to learn, finally, after how many years, is, like, you got to be okay with that sometimes. Like, you got to be okay with, like, okay, this isn't going to be a great gig. You know, but we can still make music, but it's yeah. not going to be great. But it's hard, especially, you know, when you're playing and some bad dude walks in and you're like, oh, this is great. I suck. You know what I mean? It's like you have to be okay with it because the more you force it, the more it just kind of just, it's never going to happen. You know, that's, that's such a hard thing to get good at, you know, yeah. is sort of realizing like, I have a part in this, but it's not all, mm -hmm. I'm not responsible for this, solely responsible for this being great or not, you know? Yeah. Well, I think a lot of drummers and bass players, some bass players, some musicians in a band feel like it's the drummer's role to play time. Right. Some bass players feel like it's my role to play time. Yes. And not the drummer. Yeah. I mean, they, they are doing it too. Some musicians think, you guys keep time together and I'll just play over top of you. I think it's everybody's job to be involved with the time. Yeah. But I think you have to have the, the ability to look in at yourself and say, I need to play great time. Of you course. You guys agree with that? Of absolutely. course. Absolutely. It's everybody's job to play with great time. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's really, that only gets more and more important the longer you play. Yeah, you know? 100%. Yeah. Uh, so maybe enough about that. I have a question for you. Sure. Um, in hopes that like it's just good information. So like one thing I talked with, with Tom and Mike a, a bunch and other friends that play drums or students, I've been really into this concept for a long time of like same way when I if I produce a track for somebody like I've, uh, like I'm working with a singer or a range you know I, I'm I'm kind of good at coming up with arrangements and knowing what's not necessarily what's missing but like. What's too much? Mm -hmm. I'm good at getting rid of stuff, mm -hmm. like editing. Yeah, yeah. You know, like Jeff from Good Brother Earl, he, he says I'm a good editor. Yeah. You're good at like, why do you need that there? Get rid of that. Why is there so much reverb on the voice or what? You know, like just. That's a great skill though. It's, it's, yeah. And I think oh. about music that way a lot. Um, so from practicing, performing, I find sometimes the less options I have on the drums, the better. We talked about this earlier today. Listening to great musicians play. Um, so maybe I'm teaching somebody who's who's trying to figure out how to comp better against the rise simple beat and jazz. I might say something as simple as play everything you just played without the hi-hat. Don't play two and four. And just listen to what that sounds like. It's the same stuff, but now there's a there's something a there's missing. a there's a limb missing. Now play it without the hi or without the bass drum and just play a hi-hat bass drum and snare drum. Or maybe just play the hands. Sure. And then when you re take your foot off the pedal, when you really want to play something, when you hear it, bring it back in. So maybe it becomes less pattern playing. Is, is yes. there a, is there a, a way that concept relates to bass at all? For sure. You? I mean, physically, there's an exercise that I do with my students where I try to make them solo on one string. Oh wow. And it it can't be the the high string. You know, mm -hmm. solo on the third string. 
and see what you're hearing. That's th a thing. Also, I think playing Arco, um, which I try to do every gig, yeah. can be very elusive. It's hard, because mm -hmm. when it's bad, it's awful. <laughs> it's one of the worst sounds ever. But um, We're talking about playing with the bow. Yeah, I'm sorry, playing, playing with the bow on the bass. But um, um, that also, when I pick up the bow, it automatically kind of puts everything in a box, you know? Okay, I can't do this, 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 and this. Oh, wow. Yeah. I have to be really direct about what I'm going to play. Wow. And almost simplistic about how I'm going to state it. Because yeah. the bow has a different kind of voice. I never thought of it like um, that. Wow. And you know this, too, as well. There are times on gigs, especially with a quartet, um, where there's a tune we play, a Joe Lovano thing, that's just one chord. Yeah. Um, Blackwell's Message. Oh, Blackwell's Message. Blackwell's Message. Um, I was soloing on that tune, and I got to a point where I felt like, this is stupid. I'm just trying to solo over one chord. What if I just play rhythm? Yeah. Yes. And just started playing bass notes and yeah. punctuating things and going into different keys. Yeah. And so that... And I probably... I'm sure I reacted to yeah. that, too. <laughs> yes. like, yeah. yeah. But sometimes, yeah. So, so approaching it from there, don't... All right, I'm not going to play linear things. I'm just going to play rhythm and try to punctuate sounds and come right. out with rhythm, that's another way you can kind of shave off the excess. You yeah. Know? Hmm. Well, did you have something on that? Hmm. So I'll say this too, like, I've heard you say this before in clinics and stuff like that. Like, and this might not relate to every scenario of playing music, but a lot of them. And, and I've heard you say rhythm is paramount. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like almost like rhythm... Trumps everything else. Yep. You know? Absolutely. I, I feel like that. I'd rather hear somebody feel good and play some wrong notes oh. than play right notes and have it feel like crap. Any day of the week. Absolutely. Yeah. Totally. And the older I get, this is funny, I'm going to be 50 in February. Um, my ability to play wrong notes has gotten better as I get older. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Yep. I mean, when you're young and somebody says, don't play a B flat, and you hit that B flat, and it's like, oh. Yeah, yeah. And then when you get older, you're like, I wonder what will happen if I play that B flat. Uh, uh. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, you have this like power. Yeah. You yeah. know, like yeah. you're learning, you're learning how to play the wrong notes and make them work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's great. That's. that's yeah. Really there, good. Yeah. Wow. There's, <laughs> there's so much in there. No, it's true. It's true. I think uh, along those lines, I know for me, when I'm playing and it's not happening. If I start to just play less, it immediately gets a little bit better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really, especially and that's kind of like back those. To that, that, that idea I was talking about, taking stuff away a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. Even if it's your thoughts yes. or your yes. volume yes. Or, or how many notes you're playing, you're just like let me simplify a little. Yes. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, 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 no. That's 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 it. It's like especially those times when you feel like this isn't happening. I got to do something. I got to do something instead of like. I'm not going to do anything. And all of a sudden, it kind of goes like, yeah. like that. And then there's a chance for the music to sort of develop in some kind of yeah. way, you know. And that's, that's hard to do because you can't, you can't critique yourself while you're playing. No, yeah, no yeah. way. That's, that's a surefire way to have a horrible gig. Like, you've got to just be like, here it is. It might be cool. It might be terrible. Yeah. But here it is, you yeah. know. Right. That's you hard. Play, when you play, it goes into the ether. Yeah. It's taken me years to grasp that. And then it goes on to Facebook you... <laughs> after that. <laughs> yes. But it, it, every note you play goes into the ether. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. It's gone. It's, it's in the over. Wind. It's done, which is why, I mean, especially as of recently, my motto is quantity over quality. Yeah. 
play. Just yeah. play. Don't think. Don't try to hit a home run. Yeah. Just swing. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I, I, I've told this story a bunch. Um, I don't think on here, but when I was on on Maynard's band, the nights I felt like I was playing great, I'd hear the recordings back, and they were okay. The nights I felt like I wasn't playing as great were usually the better nights. Yeah. And for me, I I learned to figure out like, oh, I'm I'm trying new things. Yeah. I'm I'm hearing growth wow, and yeah. change. Um, I, I saw Dave Weckl at a clinic when I was like 20 or something. I saw him a million times, but, and I asked a question once about that. I said, man, I feel like I'm just getting worse. And he's like, you're probably getting way better. Wow. And he, I was, it was really exciting to hear that. Yeah. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you're probably changing. Yeah. You're probably growing. Absolutely. And you're not used to what you're playing. And then, so like by age 25, on Mayor's I started to hear that and think, because I was always bold i was always not afraid to play but it's like man the more i try the more i'm liking the the results hmm. um i'm not sure where i'm going with that but i think you have to not be afraid to play and 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 not be afraid of the changing because if you just stick to your 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 uh habits right 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 there might not be any growth in that that's what i was talking about playing a tune last night yeah. It was like, let me not do what I know I can do. Let me try to fashion a groove that's going to work for this. Or when you've told me when you get to play free, how, how much you feel like you learn, you know? It's amazing. Yeah, and it, that's, as far as our relationship, I think you guys have played a lot more free improvised music than we have. Mm -hmm. Like, we've played a lot more just straight-ahead stuff, and I think... No, go ahead. No, you're right. I think you're right. And, and we don't talk about it a lot, but I have heard Paul say, like, Sometimes, man, I feel like I'm starting, like, like 20 years later, I feel like I'm starting to figure out what to do. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Or I felt like it was good all the time. But, but, look, but I do hear growth. Oh, like, yeah. I think I said to you a couple weeks ago, I was like, man, we're, we're figuring out how to, we're, or, or we're getting in some new stuff. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes yeah. it takes time. Yeah. It, takes, you know? it always takes time. That's why it's so hard. Is it's you know? not just like that. But yeah. I, think, I think as far as going back to the bass-drum relationships, Learning how to play very free music with a with a with a bass player, there's an art to that, but then there's an there's also an art to like like totally like taking care of business in, in a situation yeah. where it's just it's about that. It's not about let's see what we can create. It's like let's make this music and this person sound really really yeah. good. Yeah, you know, and that—that's like I'm more into that personally, you know. Even though I love the chance to play very creatively, yeah. But man, that's such a like learning like what works for different kinds of tunes, tempos, grooves, different kinds of singers versus different kinds of piano players versus different kinds of guitar players. Yeah, you know, like playing with someone who comes out of Kenny Burrell and Wes Montgomery. Is totally different than someone who comes out of Mick Goodrick and John Abercrombie. Yeah, absolutely. Totally different. Like those are two completely different guitar trios. Yeah. Well, I had to talk about this with my wife the other day because I played with a kind of famous musician recently. I won't mention any names, um, but the experience was it was good and bad. Yeah. Um, it was good because this cat had so much talent. He was so good. And I think extreme talent will always be here. But it's the professionalism. 
It's professionalism, being able to communicate with other musicians, being able to speak their language, letting somebody know, here, one time, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to show you, we're going to do this. We don't have to go over it again. Like the professional thing totally. is what really separates, in, in my in my world, we've played with the David Budways and the Maureen Budways and the, you know, the Roger Humphreys and the, you know, the Loose Falutes and the, yeah. you know, all the wonderful musicians we grew up playing with. And they taught us how to be professionals. Absolutely. They taught us how to take care of business. Yeah. They taught us, there's something I love about the attitude of, I'm here to play and make you sound good and we are going to sound good tonight. Yeah. You know, that kind of professionalism and not just bringing talent. Yes. Not just bringing, and what, what, I think we're going to keep seeing is really talent is always going to be around, but the ability to show up and play a whole gig yeah. and no tunes and yep. play in a certain way yep. and yep. play with a singer and play with a guitar player and really make do people you, sound good. Do you, do you remember that outdoor gig we did with Marlene Verplank? Oh my God. Yeah. Ted Firth. So <laughs> Marlene Verplank is, she's a jazz singer, but she's a little bit more of a cabaret singer mm -hmm. and she's great. Like she mm -hmm. goes all the way back to the fifties and her husband, is a great arranger named Billy Verplank, who wrote a lot of commercial. He's a very good arranger. So Paul and I did this outdoor gig with her, and wonderful pianist from New York named Ted Firth. And Billy, her husband, was there. And I'll never, this, 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 this was really nice. I don't know if you remember this, but we played this gig. We were reading her charts, which were all, we had like one short little run through. And we played the gig, and it was cool. Like, you know, we did fine. And I'll never forget, Billy Verplank like, came right up to the stage after we were done. And he looked at you and me, and he said, you guys are in the right business. Wow. <laughs> wow, I don't remember It that. was a really nice compliment, you know? And I, and I thought, like... Oh, that's cool. That's cool, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, that, like, to me, that said, like, these guys showed up, they played the music well, they were professionals, they were, they were good people. Like, I, I'll never forget that. I'd, ne I'm not, I'd never had anybody say something like that to me before. That's nice. You know, you're used to people saying, like, man, you sound great. But if somebody's saying, like, man, you guys are in the right business, mm -hmm. you know, it was like, that's really cool, that's you cool. know. Monroeville, right? That was yeah. Cool. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was very hot on a very horrible sounding stage. <laughs> you know, that, man, that could be a whole other podcast, like yeah. dealing with horrible situations. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we yeah we we had picked a few different recordings to listen to, just that that were meaningful for our our sort of relationship. You want to go why first? No, why don't we start with your stuff? Okay, all right. So the the first thing that I chose, Paul Paul introduced me to a lot of really great records, but probably one that is one of my favorites is Herbie Hancock's "Speak Like a Child." Um, I remember listening to this with you in the CRX. CRX. <laughs> <laughs> Paul's first car was a little Honda CRX. We used to drive around listening to. I remember listening to the Yellow Jackets with him. In yeah, there you go, there you go. Um, but "Speak Like a Child" is one of my favorite records, and we we listened to that a lot. And we, you know, we sort of talked about how um, the great Ron Carter and Mickey Roker played together. So I, I chose, of course, "Toys." Oh, go, going into the piano solo. So <laughs> let's check that out, and then we'll. <laughs>
yeah, mean, feels pretty good. You know what I mean? I mean, now some people might hear that and be like, "Yeah, that's nice. They're they're, they're not doing anything." But of course, you know Amazing. that 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 just letting letting the groove kind of guide the music. You know, those guys were so great at that. But of course, there's. I mean, Ron's playing all those incredible. <laughs> Go ahead, so man. Good. Talk about well, it. Do you remember? So we hung out with Mill Jackson. Yes. When he played at the balcony. Yep. And Mickey Roker was on the gig. And you asked Mickey Roker, man, how'd you end up on that Speak Like a Child record with Herbie? Yep. And what did he say? He said that, that, that Herbie called him. This was 1968. And Herbie called him and he said, yeah, I can, I can do that. But don't you want to call Tony Williams? I mean, Ron's on it. You, him, and Ron have this... And Herbie said, yeah, Tony's great, but he doesn't swing like you. <laughs> he told me that. I was like. Wow. <laughs> Which is, I mean, it's amazing because, you know, Herbie, Ron, and Tony did. I mean, they created such incredible. Yeah. But when you introduce a different person into that, it's still great. It's just a different, a different thing. Yeah. You know, into, I remember hearing this and just, you know, the way that, Mickey Roker just kind of lets everything happen. Mm. He's not in there like, no, let's, you know, he's just kind of letting it, you know, all happen. And he's make, just making it feel good, you know, while everything's going on. You know? And Ron is so good. The, the thing I really love about him. So if you listen to Ray Brown, a lot of his, his attack yeah. where he's putting the, that boom, ding, The point ding, on it, ding. yeah. And Ron's thing was less attack and more, how wide can I make the note? Totally. So it's like, da, da, yeah. da, da, yeah. da. And when you had that ride symbol, it's just, mm -hmm. da, da, yep, yeah. da, bo, da. Yeah. Like, it's, it's fat. Yeah. So good. And so it's good. that forward motion you were talking about. Even when there's not a lot of notes, it still has that beautiful, it's like, bouncing. yeah. That hump, you know. Yep. And when I try to, I still do this. I don't know if you guys do this or not. I still have this, like, imposter syndrome where sometimes I try to play like my heroes, and when I really want to swing hard, I go into this kind of Ron Carter mode, where I try to make my notes super long, because it's just, to me, he's the goat. He's the goat of walking bass. Nobody swings like that. He's incredible. I, yeah, I, I, I can't disagree with that, but I, I, you know what I'm going to say. It's because he studied all that stuff that came before him. Absolutely. You know, I mean, boo, boo, dee, boo, dee, that's yes, all that's, that's chambers. A PC, yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that's, and that's beautiful because he's, un, he's unquestionably Ron Carter, yeah. but you hear the, the lineage Absolutely. coming up to it. So. Absolutely. Love I just it. wanted to play that because I, I, I love that. Man. Love it. <laughs> what you got, man? Well, I was saying earlier, I, like, I could have picked anything. I know, there's we so much. We're trying to cover different styles Spe you know? yeah, so right. i just picked some stuff that i knew influenced both of us um and we've probably played a few of these grooves like at sound check or things like that just fooling around or like one of us would start it and the other one would jump in like oh, i know what that that's is. cool yeah so there was these these two david sanborn records that came out in the 90s and the um my friend josh dunlevy who plays saxophone he got this one called Up Front, and he's like, Rock, I think you should check this out. I think you'll really like it. And I heard it, and I was like, man, this is amazing. And um, Steve Jordan's on drums. Marcus Miller produced the records, plays bass. Don Elias, uh, Ricky Peterson. I think Dean Brown's on one. Dean Space Brown. Man's on some of it. Yeah. Um, just the amazing rhythm sections. I've heard this. I, I got to get I've heard these, but I And I it actually, that, that, like, I was all fusion, and, and you know, at that time. And, and I remember... 
tearing down my like fusion setup and setting up like a four like my Gretsch toms with like a pearl bass drum, like a dead bass drum, and like a ride and a crash, and just playing along these grooves for like months and just yeah. trying to learn to make it emulate, <laughs> try to emulate it. But these are really from track to track on these albums, one's called Upfront, one's called Hearsay. For me, it was like all these radically different feels. And I was like, man, like, you have to learn how to, to, to make these feels happen. Did you feel like that with these records? Absolutely, absolutely. I feel like also Marcus's kind of production turned into this real organic, I don't know, there's, there's something about those two records. Well, the really records organic. before that seemed a little more up and down or something, and these were a little slipperier. Yeah. Does yeah, that make sense? Y y totally, totally. But you know, the, less yeah, drum machine-y, less, less soulful. Yeah. Hmm. And um, there's so many. Let's, let's put on, should we listen to the first track? We have Snakes, or should we do Soul Sure, set? no, no, Snakes is a good one. We can put on Snakes. It's first, you know, the that first. That drum groove is unmistakable. Yeah. <laughs> In a way, like what you said about the Mickey Roker thing, like somebody might think there's nothing to it. Yeah. But I always say this, like try to make it feel like that. Yeah, try, you you do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I remember? I have two things to say. Um, I remember seeing them do this on The Tonight Show. I saw that too. Oh, wow. They did this and they did Bang Bang. Yeah, the hit. And it was incredible. Yeah. It was like, oh my same, God. Same band? Same mm -hmm. band. Marcus was playing. Oh, man. He was kind of directing everybody. But um, this was a time... You know what I love about this time is we got records and we just assimilated the whole record from front to back. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, it was like 20 bucks or whatever to get a CD. You spent your hard-earned money. So we didn't have everything available to us, so yeah. we listened to that stuff like crazy. Yeah. And we knew every single little fill and every track. Everything. And we would assimilate that stuff. And I remember up front, being so excited with that record and just, I might have had that. This might be when, so if I didn't have enough money, I'd buy it on tape. Right, of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yep. So I might have had this on cassette and I just, you know. I, I had it on tape first as well. Yeah, like, sure. You break like, the tape eventually. Yeah. Totally. Like crazy. You're just listening to it over, over and, and over. over and over again. You know every solo, every groove. Yeah. I, I think we benefited from that so much. Yeah. Rather than kind of here's the snippets of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was like get into this album deeply for the next month, know everything, and then move on to the next record. We yeah. we, we got a lot out of that. Oh, man. I think it was different than the 
fusion music we loved and that this was repetitive music, you know? And we all heard songs growing up, pop songs, sure. and, and like our parents would play music of like whatever it would be. It could be like my brother playing, you know, you know, I don't even know what, like, you know, like you hear Journey in the house. My brother's playing, or my dad's playing Headhunters. Or my mom's playing some Barbara Streisand Guilty. Like, you're hearing songs, yeah. and you're thinking about playing songs, or like MTV culture, I always remember. Sure. You just hear all these hit, mm -hmm. sure. hit songs. But like, the stuff that, as a player, you get excited about drumming, I want to play all this stuff. And this, I was like, man, I got to learn to just lay this shit down. Play the music. That's you right, know? absolutely. And sound, sounds are so important. Sound. So good. Yeah. Yeah. That's, man. I got to see if that Tonight Show clip is on YouTube, is it? It probably is. I'd love to see that. Because Bang Bang, I would guess, is probably on there. That was They did. So they remade that song, Bang Bang. Yeah. And they did it, and that was the big, they must have had 30 people on stage, in my memory. Yeah, yeah. But they did that, but they did Snakes, which was really... Like, oh, my God. It was one of those moments like, wow, Marcus is on The Tonight Show. They're playing that amazing. on TV, yeah. yeah. Sure. It was really cool. Wow. Man. Yeah, that's, there's, that's that art of, like, you talk about repetitive music, you know, being able to, to do everything you were just saying, like, let the music happen, like, focusing on something, but, but you're also interacting at the same time in, in different ways. You know, that, yeah. man, that's, it takes a lot of maturity and patience to, you know, play like that, you know. Because yeah. sometimes, I mean, you know, when you're playing, you might hear like, oh, I could do this. But then it's like, should I do that? <laughs> you right. know? Well, this kind of music humbles you in that way. Totally. It's like if you start, if you're not fitting in, you're, you're not playing the, you're playing it. Yeah. You're not doing it right. Yeah. You know, I played in a pop, like a pop rock band when I was 24. And that sounded fine. I'm sure if I heard it back, I'd be like, oh, that sounded maybe even a little better than I thought I did. But, but. I didn't realize that my concept wasn't so much thinking about like being repetitive. It was yeah. more like I can I have room to play here. Ah, uh, yeah. And now after those gigs, it's like man, I gotta just like come up with a part and just nail it and be repetitive and groove and have yep. a nice sound. Good sound. Yeah. It's not about like what can I interject. What can I fit in? And here? even guys yeah. will be like, well, why don't you solo? On? I'm like, I don't need to solo on this. Yeah. This isn't. And they're like, we well, should. People will like it. I'm like, ah, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Want to, you know, and that's what's fun about playing the pop songs or playing this kind of stuff. It's, it's just playing a different role than maybe you play in your in your jazz world. Or of course, I mean, not that jazz is always playing a bunch of stuff. Sometimes no, I'm just laying mean. it down as well. Sure, you know. Yeah, I, well, that's what Marcus represented to me. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, it was like fat, amazing sound. You could always hear him. He was playing relatively simple, but it was just perfect. Yeah, and grooving like. Wow. Like yeah. in four bars, he can make you like mm -hmm. want to yeah. quit. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I went and saw Marcus's band seven, eight, nine years ago, whenever that Aphrodisia record came out. Oh, Brett yeah. was in the band, Cliff mm -hmm. was on the record. Yeah. I went and saw it. I was off one night. I was like, well, I should go see Marcus. It's, it's a guild. And the feeling I got from that, still, I was in my 40s, I was like, man, everything he plays is in the pocket. Everything he plays sounds good. And everything he plays feels great. Mm -hmm. I saw I saw him play at the Pittsburgh Festival a number of years ago when Brett was playing, and this was live in the street, and I was blown away by his sound and everything you just said. It sounded like a record. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was just like everything he did was 
sounded perfect and it was all there and i'm thinking like man if he can sound like that on a metal stage mm -hmm. in the middle of like a, like that's that's amazing well, also you got to take into account that he wrote that song he wrote most of the songs on that record yeah. he produced the record yeah he's playing keyboard on half the stuff <laughs> yeah. like it's just bass he, clarinet he made me want to not just be a good bass player uh, up to that point, I was like, okay, I want to be a good bass player. And then I heard Marcus, and I was like, man, I've got to write something. I got I want to be able to do everything wow. like a musician with a capital M, as yeah, Ron yeah. Carter says. You yeah. Know? Wow. I, I think something, too, like from all my favorite musicians, whether it's guys like this or jazz musicians, whatever, or even like great singer-songwriters, is for me, like, it was always about keeping, like, your, your standards high. So for me, it was always, like, I remember Paul Wells told me this when we were young. He's like, man, like, a lot of my friends just want to, like, be as good as their friends. Right. He's like, you're, like, always trying to be as good as your heroes. That's right. I'm like, I'm not as good as them, but why not set the bar really high? Yep. So for this, it was like, man, I want to try to make it feel good all, like, all the time. Absolutely. I'm not saying I can do it. Right. But that's the goal. That's the goal. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. when I saw Tito Puente's band, I was mm -hmm. like, how do you make it feel like that? So it's always that with me. It's like yep. I want to be able to do it on the highest highest level. And I think so. I think that's something that we could say to young musicians too. Is like shoot for the stars, man. Like try to. to try to live up to those standards you set mm -hmm. for yourself of yeah. of being great. You know? And that doesn't you know doesn't that, mean you will all the time, or doesn't mean. It, but like at least you're you're shooting. High. You got to aim for that, yeah. yeah. And that has nothing to do with likes or comments. Yeah, I hate to say to no, be the I one mean, to say it, right? Yeah, algorithms. If, if, you know, I will say though, like not to, because we're not trying to trash anybody. No, no, no. If Absolutely. we were young, we would be doing of all course. the same stuff. Of course, so it's, it's not a knock. Yeah, but we benefited from having to buy the records, from having to get our butts kicked by older musicians. Yeah, seek that stuff out. You know, I, I think I think what you said before is is really important. Like assimilating an entire record, you know. I mean, there there's so much that you get out of that. You know, it's not just learning to play better, but you're learning how to hear at a deeper level. So much of today, it's all surface. It's just, oh yeah, that's cool, I checked that out, that's cool, but did you really check it out? Yeah. There's a big difference. You know, I remember talking to older musicians who were around in the 40s. You know, Charlie Parker would put two 78s out per year. That's roughly 12 minutes of music. That's all you got. Yeah. So that's why when you talk to, there's very few of those guys left, but when you meet them, you say, oh, yeah, Bird's record of, you know, Bird, they'll, they can, they know every single part of that because mm -hmm. they listen to it over. And that assimilation process, I think, is, is, is an important well, thing. You two guys, I will say you're both like the Library of Congress as far as it comes <laughs> to records. I don't know anybody that has as many records as the two of you, and I'm always always getting hip to stuff from the two of you because you guys have the recorded history of everything basically but um i saw pat Metheny when i was in college when i was a freshman in college he came um he was playing at aj palumbo so they brought him to duquesne and he said i'm not going to play i will sit in the classroom and answer questions for like an hour and um he said when he was growing up he said, I didn't get a lot of records. He said, I think I got the 30 most important jazz records of all time. And he said, I learned every note on every single record that everybody was playing. Mm. You know? Wow. And that was his process, which kind of gave me, that also kind of gave me, 
you know, hope, okay, let me get what I think is a great record. It could be kind of blue. Mm-hmm. Of and course. And let me study the heck out of it. Let me know what everybody's playing on every song, and I'll be a better musician for that, you know. You know what I've been doing lately is I've been actually going back to those, like, essential records, and I'll take, on CD, I'll take one of them and I put it in my car for a couple weeks, yeah. and that's all I listen to in my car. Like, I did Cannonball something else. Mm-hmm. You know, just... And it's amazing, like records that I listened to a lot before, going back and listening to them, like we were saying earlier. New ears, yeah. New ears, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and to be able to, to just be patient enough to do that. Because mm-hmm. today there's just so much stuff that's just constantly well, coming at well, you, you, you know. You can't do everything. Of course, absolutely. And you have to, you have to know that. So, yeah. so I think if you're, if you're skimming over stuff too much, trying to do everything, you're not going to find what, yeah. what is it you do. Yep. So like you said, you like what Pat said, what you did, and you did the same thing. So yeah, I might have been listening to the electric, Chick Electric Band, and maybe I also heard like Stevie Wonder records in my house at the same time. But I knew those. Yes. I wasn't hearing all the records that I have now. Right. Mm-hmm. Now I buy stuff because I'm curious. What is that? And you're yeah. hoping you find something that you fall sure. in love with. So sure, I could you could put any of the records, thousands of records I have on. I'm going to know what they are. Yeah. But there's maybe 400 of those 3,500 well, that, 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 that I really, really know. Of yes. course. No, 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 but that was a compliment. No, that was I know. Totally was, a compliment. No, I know. No, no, no. Guys, no, we check I out. Wish, we check I it wish out. I could approach the, having the kind of library of music that you both have. It's amazing. But, but all I meant is that you, ha- but you have to check out stuff yeah. over and over, yeah. over to and learn over. something. Yeah. If you only hear a clip of this and that, you're not going to learn to do it. So I agree that you have to. Oh my gosh. To to figure that stuff out and it, and what you practice and what you play, you have to do it over and over and mm. over to develop it. Yeah, I remember Marvin Smitty Smith uh, talking about when he was at Berkeley, he used to do a monthly thing. So he said for one month, the only drummer I would listen to would be Jimmy Cobb. Right. Yeah. Next month. All I would listen to is Billy Higgins. The next month, you know what I mean? And it was, a, it was the same process of like, mm-hmm. let me try to get inside this person's style as much as I can. Mm-hmm. And just a, that assimilation of mm-hmm. like, yeah. so that it becomes a part of you in some sort of a way. I mean, that, that process is important. Yeah. And, you know. I, that's definitely what I did. Me too. I was taking my favorite drummers, not only trying yep. to, to, to play along the records, yep. try to play like them, but even more so for me was try to figure out how they got their sound. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Totally. Yeah, 100%. Um, we could do 30 of these. I, I know. We should probably wrap it up because yeah. we're, we're over time. But we, we'll, 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 we'll do it again, man. There's so much more to talk about and listen to. If anybody's um, anyone's seeing this or listening, check out Paul's YouTube channel. It's really great. PD Bass. PD Bass. Lots of amazing information about bass. And not just bass, but music. It's for everyone. And drummers. Check it out because yeah. you'll get a lot of insights as to what bass players are doing and thinking about. I mean, I've learned a lot watching it. So, yeah. PD Bass. That wraps up episode 10 of the Drum Candy Podcast. If you like the show, please give us a review on Spotify or iTunes. Give us a share on YouTube if you don't mind. If you're not subscribing to our YouTube channel, make sure you do so there. Hit me up with any requests or questions at drumkennypodcast at gmail.com. We appreciate you listening, and we'll be back next week.